a reading from Acts. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was the one in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it has upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was what I was that I could hinder God. When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in our lesson from Acts today, we hear of uh, St. Peter, Simon Peter, going to the house of, uh, it's not mentioned in Acts 11, but if you read chapter 10, you'll see uh, Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion, uh, a Roman military leader, who was also a person who feared God. The technical term is God-fearer. This is somebody who was Gentile by birth, uh, that is not Jewish, but who had come to uh, appreciate uh, Jewish religion even to the point of worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
Uh, and uh, where it is said in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius uh, was well spoken of by the people in the Jewish community. Uh, that he ha- was not just somebody who worshipped God, but lived out uh, this belief in God, this worship of God through the giving of alms. That is, uh, using some of the, his income as a Roman soldier to care for the poor Jewish people in the area. Now that, that's notable. Uh, but what is also notable is that he was not Jewish. Not yet. He was not a proselyte. He was not a convert to Judaism. And uh, you can kind of understand why when you realize that the core kind of symbol of becoming Jewish for men was to be circumcised. (laughs) And it's understandable why this was a step that Cornelius was maybe hesitant to make. That's a... uh, That is a full commitment. (laughs) Well, he wasn't there yet. He also, though he prayed to God, and as the Acts chapter 10 makes very clear, his prayers were heard by God. He also did not yet believe in Jesus, the Son of God. And the reason for this is that While all of the apostles were Jewish uh, and while they had been uh, out sharing the good news of the gospel for, by this time, years, they had only been doing that in the context of their Jewish community. They hadn't yet got around to preaching the gospel to those Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. And yet we see in Acts chapter 10 and recounted by St. Peter in Acts chapter 11, how God was not content to let this be the case for any longer. So God sent an angel to Cornelius, to his house, appeared to him and gave him this message, send for Simon Peter, for he will bring you good news of salvation. And so he did this. Meanwhile, God also was intervening in Simon Peter's life. Simon Peter was at a house of Simon the Tanner in a nearby town of Joppa. And he was praying. And in the midst of this prayer, he had a vision. He fell into a trance. And in this vision uh, is an event so important that I think we ought to consider making this a high holy day, just short of, uh, of Easter and Christmas and Pentecost uh, because of what you heard happened, right? The sheet descended and what was in the sheet, but all of these animals that were considered by the Jewish people to be unclean, can't eat of those. Uh, and, uh, and in our house, I'll tell you, this is something that we celebrate, that this vision happened. Uh, why? Well, I'll illustrate it with a story. When one time we were going to Virginia on vacation, we had just entered, exited the mountainous area and come into the hill country on our way to the coast. But there was a little roadside station there that had 
really good apple cider so, and apples and things like that. We wanted to stop and, and get that. But while we were there, they had all kinds of products from around Virginia, representative of Virginia. And when you think of Virginia, what do you think of? Ham. Yep, that's right. You got it, ham. Uh, and so we're walking around in the store. And Emmeline was walking with me, and we walked up in this large display of all these pork products. And above them, uh, there was a uh, cutout, a wooden cutout of a pig. And Emmeline was probably two and a half, you know, at the time, just a little, little toddler. And she looks up and uh, she says, Dad, why is there a picture of the pig? And I said, well, uh, I said, you see this bacon and this ham, you know, all, all these foods, they, they come from pig. Uh, you know, bacon is, is dead pig. And she kind of looked up at it, and I thought, oh, I wonder what she's going to say. She looked up at it, and she looked at the bacon, and then she looked at me, and she said, Daddy, I love dead pig. <laughs> <laughs> Our family loves dead pig, <laughs> right? There is just something about bacon, especially, right? That's like the pinnacle, <laughs> right? You know, but, you know, we have ham at Easter and other times, too. We're getting into uh, rib season, right? Smoking some ribs. We love all that stuff. Well, all of that was off limits for the Jewish people. And not just, you know, because they didn't like it or they didn't think, oh, it's not, not great or, or whatever. I mean, this was core to their identity of being children of God. It, it was, you know, the, the dietary restrictions they followed were part and parcel of their obedience, their relationship with God. So much so that, you know, when God was first forming the people of Israel, he had called them out of slavery in Egypt. He had freed them through uh, taking them through the Red Sea. And, and now God was leading them to the promised land. And if you look at the book of Leviticus, you'll see the whole book is filled with all kinds of descriptions of ways in which God wanted the people to live. And included in that whole long list of things is dietary restrictions, foods that they could not eat. And uh, these things were part of, uh, really a symbolic part of what it meant to be God's people. And so it is that in the midst of these dietary restrictions in Leviticus chapter 20, God says to the people, you shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Right before that, God has told them you're not to eat the same foods that they eat. And the implication within the context of Leviticus is you're not supposed to do any of these different things because these are the things that the peoples do out there, but you're not one of them. You're not just the peoples, you are my people. And as God says repeatedly through Leviticus, I have separated you out from the peoples. So that a faithful Jewish person would look at the world and say there are only two types of people. 
There are Jewish people and there's everybody else. There's Jewish people and there are Gentiles. Jewish people and the peoples. The, the different people groups in the world. And part of what it meant to be Jewish was all of these things that marked that you were not like everybody else. There was a marked distinction between who you were and how you lived your day-to-day life, even down to the things that you ate and the clothes you wore, and the way that everybody else lived. So much so that not only could a Jewish person not eat these certain foods, they couldn't go to the house of somebody who did. Otherwise, they would have to undergo some rituals that would make them clean again so they could again participate in the life of the congregation, the synagogue. And yet, something happened between Leviticus and St. Paul writing to the church in Rome where he says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now what happened between Leviticus where God says, you must make a distinction. You're my people and there's everybody else. Eat in this certain way, dress in a certain way, do all these things in a certain way, unlike everybody else. And Romans, where St. Paul says, there is no distinction. Jew, Greek, slave, free, none of it. No distinction. How do you get from one place to the other? They're both God's word. Well, our reading from Acts today makes it explicit that God had to start somewhere in reclaiming this world for himself, in reconciling the whole world to himself. And he started with the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in this particular way, calling them out from the peoples, setting boundaries for them. But it was God who had set the boundaries. And guess what? If God who set the boundaries, adjusts the boundaries, then we adjust too. And that's exactly what happens in Acts. So it is that while the apostles had not yet got around to preaching to the Gentiles, God intervenes and sends an angel directly to them. And you can see that this is an illustration of what we've been studying as a congregation in these recent months. As we've been reading through Greg Finke's book, Joining Jesus, as we've heard him speak to us, an illustration of his central point that God is active in the world around us. That God is, to put it as Pastor Finke puts it, messing with people. And he's not just messing with the people who are in here hearing his, God, hearing his word and being fed by his holy supper. He does mess with us. We know that. But he's messing with people out in the world too. 
preparing them for the kind of conversations that they will have with his people. And you can see it clear as day here in God coming to Cornelius, messing with him, saying, hey, go call for this man. He's going to come and he's going he's to tell you about salvation. See, salvation comes through only one name, and that is Jesus Christ. There is salvation by no other name. No amount of our good works, no amount of Cornelius' almsgiving, nor his praying in, you know, it, it, to the God of, uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, none of that could save him. There was only one thing that could save him, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. And though he was a praying man, and though he was a giving man, he was not a believing man. And God wasn't going to let him stay that way. And God wasn't going to let the apostles put off this task of bringing the light of God to the nations anymore. And so God started messing with Simon Peter too. So that when that trance comes to an end and he hears the knock at the door he is ready to go and as he recounts in our reading today and the spirit told me to go with them making no distinction see when saint peter went up onto the roof to pray he was still thinking very much in terms of there's jews and there's the rest of the world when he came down from that time of prayer on the roof He was at that place led by the Holy Spirit where he would no longer make a distinction. That he could see that he was called as a follower of Jesus to share the word with everybody. That God so loved the whole world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is God reclaiming the world. And as Jesus says in John's gospel, uh, he says, speaking of his crucifixion, when I am lifted up, I will draw all peoples to myself. Not just the Jewish people. All peoples. And this is, this is a proof in this text that God is active in our world, calling all peoples to himself. Not through their own way of doing things, but through the one name, Jesus Christ. And he does that through us. Notice, it wasn't the angel who appeared to Cornelius who then shared the gospel that caused him to believe. It was a person, Simon, Peter, a disciple of Jesus. A disciple who then preached the word and disciples were made. So it is that though God is messing with people in the world and and they're asking their own questions and they're trying in their own way to follow God and and to to live uh, a moral life. It is only through the sharing of the word of God, the sharing of the gospel, that they're going to come to a place where they become our brothers and sisters. And guess who gets to do that? Us, you, me. 
There are people in our neighborhoods, in our communities, that God is messing with. He's stirring up questions inside of them. Or maybe he hasn't even stirred up those questions yet, but through their interaction with you, he will start to do that. And it doesn't start often for us today, doesn't start like it did with Peter, where the first time he ever met Cornelius and immediately starts sharing the gospel and before he even finishes, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and they all become believers. That's pretty extraordinary. I've not seen that kind of thing before. It's not saying it can't happen, but for most of us, it's a, that time is drawn out as we build relationships with our neighbors. But we trust that God is working on our neighbors and he's going to work on them even more through our conversations, which is why it's so critical that we have this mission practice of talking with people. And while we ask this question of each other, what kind of conversations are you having with pre-Christians? Because God is working on our neighbors through his Holy Spirit, preparing the ground for the conversations that we will have, giving us a platform eventually through trust in that relationship where we will be able to share the gospel. And then we leave it to God to do the work on their heart through the Holy Spirit as they hear the word to do the work. We're not going to convert them. God's going to do that. But God is going to use you. Who are the people, the the pre-Christians in your life, in your neighborhood, in in your schools, children, in, uh, in the places where you work and play? Who are the people that God is preparing even now for you to have those kind of conversations with. Even if those crucial conversations don't happen down, until down the road a bit. It might just start with getting to know their name. Learning what they like. It might happen this time of year over a backyard barbecue of some uh, you know, pulled pork or uh, you know, some uh, smoked ribs pound of bacon. (laughs) It's over those kind of meals, those kind of time spent with our neighbors that we begin to build relationship. We trust that God, just as he was at work in the time and in the relationships that we read about in Acts chapter 10 and 11, that God is at work today doing that same thing because God wants all people to be saved, for all people to come to faith, for all people to call on the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the name of Jesus, amen.